Hello, and welcome to The Regrettable Century. This is Chris, and you are listening to part two of a two-part discussion with Donald from Cosmonaut Magazine about Marxist Romanticism and Marxist Prometheanism. If you haven't yet listened to part one, please go back and do that now. Enjoy the show. I think that's really like one of the big problems that we have today is how how do we solve this this question of imagination of, of vision like i said before like how do we actually inspire people to unite and create this collectivity that we need so desperately and i think that's why you have to capture that romantic spirit but i think at the same time you yeah, can't go too yeah. far you can't basically say oh well we just need to kind of return to the past and you know, like you have that with a lot of anarchists, like they just want to like do community gardens and like, you know, like their solution is basically like everyone dropping out of modern society and and creating, um, you know, communes or and stuff like that. Like, like the, right. I think like kind of like hippie leftism represents like the bad side of romanticism, just like, you know, people like Leigh Phillips yeah. kind of represent the bad side of Prometheanism. But we have to find a way to like combine passion and reason. And we can only really do that through hmm. the actual concrete practice of creating a new society. You know, one of the projects I think that our podcast has is to teach people that dialectics isn't just a way to, you know, explain away contradictions that you don't feel like talking about. <laughs> Whenever we're talking about the dialectical relationship between Prometheanism and Romanticism, I think that like this, the synthesis of these two things is what we need to be trying to create. It's like, it's possible. It exists, you know, in the best forms of Marxism, it's there and you can see it. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and I think we can, we can look at the, the excesses of both sides and learn from that and try not to make those mistakes. And then moving forward, we can, we can have a scientific socialism that has, still has a soul. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whenever I'm trying to explain this to people, I think of like, just, just look at, look at the university system now, right? I was going to say when we talk about the excesses of the of the two sides, that's right. the, those are the excesses of the of the warm streams. Look at the universities. Now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, no. Okay, so on one hand, the the university system ha- has its its own two streams, where you have STEM robots who have no conception of the the value of anything that can't be quantified mm-hmm. by numbers, and then you've got like the humanities people that. Or writing like the like the person who wrote the our drones like queer yeah yeah it's just like it's just like pure like also scholasticism like they're not actually like yeah, investigating yeah. society or or nature or anything yeah. they're just kind of like so it's like just like self-referential like you know bullshit that doesn't actually like help anyone like achieve you know a greater world yeah those people are destroying the planet yeah exactly <laughs> yes they are yeah and um well they're definitely destroying I the think, internet um, the yeah, thing exactly. is it's like uh which is the best part of the, the thing planet. is like a lot of the more like intelligent scientists like they realize like this whole like way of looking at the world is actually not that scientific in a lot of ways that you kind of do need a holistic understanding of the world to do like climate science like climate climate exactly. science like it requires multiple different um like you have to have you have to create models of the entire world as like a holistic entity in order to understand climate and so it kind of um you kind of see a merging of like science with a more um i don't want to say dialectical but kind of like a process 
um, like you know Whitehead, for example, like kind of like a, a process um, materialism that isn't just this kind of um, vulgar scientific materialism. Yeah, right. It's it's a materialism that allows you to download CoStar on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> burn some sage actually i mean so yeah like that's that has been a kind of a recurring theme in a lot of our discussions on this podcast like the the episode that jenny did uh without us um about federici and witchcraft um or our discussions about our our endless discussions about uh fully automated luxury communism I think that we have been more and more consciously trying to grapple towards something that looks like a, a capacity to synthesize the aspirations of, you know, of modernity with the kind of uh, vicious outcry against the ravages of modernity. Yeah. I think that I think that we haven't figured it out, but I think that, you know, th- that's that's something I think we're getting good at least at least trying to figure out. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, I. I... If, if nothing else, our contribution to this whole thing will just be to, like, say, hey, this is something we should try to figure it out, you know? Right. I mean... We said it, and we said it a lot of times. Yeah. yeah we, we, I mean, I think um, we've my problem with fully automated luxury communism that is not that it's, like, you know, Promethean and, like, wants to go to space. Like, I'm all for that. Like, you know, Cosmonaut, or Eric's kind of slogan is from the fields to the stars. Yeah, y'all motherfuckers Yeah, but space. at the same time, like... <laughs> Like, um, the thing about fully automated luxury communism that it's like, it doesn't understand the creative role of human labor. What it's trying to do is it's trying to expunge human labor from society so that we're all just consumers enjoying, like, um, the fruits of technology. But, like, I feel like true communism is about human beings coming together as, as a laboring collective and applying science and applying, you know, philosophy and, and, and doing all that to both nature and society to create, a, you know, to meet our collective ends and create new desires and to actually have control over ourselves, but in a creative way. Like labor is, is like labor is really like the most important thing about humanity because labor is how we control the conditions of our own existence and make our desires into, uh, you know, actual realities. And I feel like if you try to expunge labor from communism, it's not really communism anymore. It's just like no, it's it's just creating a, a single idle bourgeoisie. Yeah, exactly. And I, yeah, which is the that is the vision of the future that all liberals. Can yeah, exactly. Embrace. It's a totally liberal right. vision of the future that we're just like these consumers, and you know, I think communism is not about consumption. It's it's about production. Like fully automated luxury communism is like a, it's a communism of consumers. But we want is like a communism of producers. Where, that, know, where um, we actually reach just, the full potential of this human essence of, of the laboring collective. And I think that it's through comradely relations and production that we can create that new community that is kind of, you know, that that's inspired by all of the collectivities and, you know, struggles of the past, but at the same time is forward-looking and scientific. I think that's really where the synthesis happens is in the... Uh, in the laboring collective. Yeah, that's that perfect marriage of the warm and cold streams mm-hmm. right there in what you're explaining. That's the rom- that's the romanticism and prometheanism. Yeah, combined. and I think uh, like uh, I think what did Hume say that like um, reason should be um, a, a servant of passion. I think that kind of that kind of captures right. like what we're trying to do here. We're trying to 
to um, embrace our passions as human beings, as creative laboring subjects, but use reason and, and science to achieve those passions and expand those passions, create new passions and, and whatnot. And that's what the Kevin, the thing that Kevin always harps on is the false dichotomy between, between reason and um, what, how does he refer to it? I don't remember how he, he, he said it a lot more eloquent. He, he's a philosophy major. So he's he's got all those good philosophy words. <laughs> yeah, I, I really am behind <laughs> but, uh, on philosophy. Like, I study. I'm trying. I'm trying yeah, to. I learn need to now. like read Spinoza but, and yeah. Aristotle and all that stuff. Like, yeah. I I studied history in college. Yeah, that same was with my me. thing. I really yeah, but you, you want to talk about the Middle Ages, dude? I can go for, <laughs> for weeks. Yeah, so if you want to talk about like the history of American communism and Jason's real good with that too. He's good, who, he's real good with the history the of American Soviet communism. Union, also, all that stuff like. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but um, so that's the what I was getting at there is that the post-Enlightenment period, we've taken uh, reason. We, we've uh, eschewed God and made reason the new God. And in the process, we've alienated ourselves from all the things that draw us to religion as human mm-hmm. beings, right? So we've we've gotten rid of all of our religious institutions and we've gotten rid of the the utopian vision of the future that religion contains within it. That Christianity has within it, right, and uh, the in the ideas of community that are contained within religion, and now what we've got is, you know, I guess what uh, we've got mammon. Yeah, exactly, mammon. God. Like, yeah, like it's it's, it's we basically destroyed all the old gods and created a new god called reason. But that's reason is actually just the uh, the, the operation of the market and the calculation of the market and this you know, enslavement to the profit motive and, and truck bartering and trading. Like if that, if, new atheism is like the, the perfect yeah, example yeah. of all of the worst things. And that's my real problem with like, like a lot of like, um, like Lenin and the Russian Marxists. So they often come off as like new atheist edgelords. They kind of yeah. do. I mean, I get it. Yeah, I get I it get because the Orthodox their Church opposition like to so the Russian Orthodox impressive. Church. But like, yeah. You know, maybe we they could have subverted like a lot of the Orthodox people and like, you know, like why, why not like try to like, you know, because you know. I mean, Stalin yeah. did it. I mean, it was kind of in a lame way too, but you know, yeah, he did it in a lame way. I think we could have done it, or not we, you know, they, you know, the old yeah. we, the, the royal we. And I think like uh, that's one of the reasons why I think like indigenous stuff is really important to the left because like indigenous peoples are often like they're some of the only people in in the world who still have a connection to like these uh, you know community and collectivity and. uh you know, I think like combined uneven development. What if like indigenous peoples, like you know, embracing aspects of modern technology to their own needs is what can help us fight climate change? Because you know, there still are subsistence, you know, farmers in these indigenous communities, and you know, they maybe if they like, if you know, we have a combination of you know the laboring collective proletariat with indigenous communities embracing. A lot of these uh, of, of embracing technology, but subsumed to a collective need. Like that could be like you know how we create a new society against climate change. I think that the indigenous communities of the Amazon embracing even just a few bits of modern technology, like AK forty seven, you know, rocket-propelled <laughs> grenades, I was say that, could that... Uh, help arrest climate change very, very yeah. tangibly by killing all the yeah, fucking loggers. Bolsonaro, who might already die, actually, yeah. he has the coronavirus, I think. Maybe, I don't know. There's a lot of controversy over whether I'm or not sure, he actually has it. I'm sure he's he's going to be yeah. fine, I think. I think uh, wealthy, powerful people are all going to be fine, absent um, 
well, something gonna, a little stronger and something a little stronger willed than a virus. I'll light a, I'll light a candle to to Saint Oscar Romero. Yeah, uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah. say a prayer. Say a prayer that the best possible outcome with Bolsonaro happens. Yeah, I think like uh, I kind of used to kind of like dismiss liberation theology stuff as like oh that's just like this you know like rad lib like fetishization of indigenous peoples like you know they just need to like you know get real ass marxism and read bordiga and whatever but like you know i i i think that like you have to you have to appeal to those kind of romantic instincts and, and to mobilize people yeah like, absolutely I, well yeah I, I love and the, i think I love that in order to appeal to them you kind of have to share them like i don't think that's the i don't think it's enough to just like recognize that some things move people uh, I think we have to recognize what in them mm-hmm. moves people. And we have to actually, you know, to like embrace the the truth of those things. Right. We have to re-enchant the world, and that's part of the project of, you know, uh, the, that is part of the communist vision for society is in disalienating human relations and social relations and people from nature and so on. That we we can get back to the business of really allowing ourselves to be enchanted by the wonders of the mm-hmm. universe. Um, but I think that we have to we have to accept that that's a part of our project now, just to, just in as much as it is you know combating like chauvinistic behaviors doesn't in the, in itself like uh, undermine you know the the social basis for them mm-hmm. right that's why we need to change society but we still have to actually grasp toward it in our practice yeah that's why I, I wholeheartedly so I, welcome like the like there's been a, a, an explosion of christian socialist podcasts that i think are are a, a representation of a genuine uh move to the left of a lot of younger christians and i wholeheartedly welcome that um, yeah and I without without asterisks you know without asterisks well i don't know actually yeah, they gotta get rid of the anti-abortion stuff that's that's a that's a deal breaker for me they can be well, personally it, against it pe- not want to have abortion but that has to be a right that's available to people well, I'm, t- I'm well, talking about people having faith in something that is in Yeah, yeah, yeah right, exactly. I understand. And most it's, most of the Marx, the Catholic Marxists that I know aren't for legislating yeah, against well, Yeah, I can. So, I mean, whatever. That's fucking fine. That means you don't have yeah. an abortion. Good. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like whether or not you decide to drink. Just don't. Yeah. Yeah, you know? and I think this kind of touches on um, Maritige and this whole idea of, like, socialism as, like, a heroic creation. Like, every... Every like, yeah. all of this, all every example of socialism is is a is a heroic creation of of people trying to um, create a new collectivity from their existing conditions, and and through that process, right? And whether that's whether that's building a city on a hill, you know, a, a, achieving a degree of heaven on earth, or if it's uh, you know, getting all Thomas Munzer with it. Yeah, well, I think we should, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> You know, whether that's what motivates you or if it's instead that you, you know, desire to see a rational society that doesn't grind people into dust. And it's, you know, you think that the power of technology can be brought to bear on that project. Whichever one of those motivations, I think that that they're both right. Yeah. And I think that we need And I think science. Yeah. The problem with science today is really that it's subsumed to capitalism and the profit motive. The thing is, like, science. That's my problem with most things. Yeah, like, the thing is, like, science has existed all through history. Like a lot of people think that like you know science didn't really happen until like Francis Bacon and modernity and all that stuff. But like all throughout history, people have you know interacted with nature and tried to understand nature and then use that understanding to better interact with nature. And I think that you know 
if we get rid of capitalism and, and create a collectivist society, like we can actually use science to disenchant the world and actually understand the world in a better way that isn't just this kind of um atomistic um you know worldview of everything as just like separate individuals and individual particles like i think like science itself has shown that like this kind of understanding of reality as this atomistic uh, process is actually wrong and that it's it's far different like um christopher codwell's book a crisis in physics talks about this a lot how like a lot of like the early modern scientific understandings of the world they were able to create useful knowledge at the same time they were still kind of like based on this like capitalist vision of like atomized individuals all competing and having like a rational utility calculation and all that stuff what's interesting is where you find that hard that hard disconnect is with the scientists that directly preceded them in the early modern period were christian Mm -hmm. humanists and they had this vision they had this vision of the of christendom as a community that advanced and fell together and those the scientists that were involved in uh you know advancing science at that time had that vision in mind right it actually takes the it actually takes the conscious disruption of previously established collectivities to bring uh bourgeois science you know, all the way up to the the dominant position, you know, and that's a, that's, you know, that my more charitable reading of Federici's, uh, you know, sort of discursions on, on the witch phenomenon, yeah. you know, right, right. And the, and the witch hunt phenomenon specifically, like the, the scattering to the winds of previously held, collective held knowledges and groups and identities that this is like a, this is for her, it's like part of a precondition for, the development of the bourgeois world. I mean, it is for Marx too, right? The Enclosure Act, yeah, like exactly. The first, uh, right, first step toward the creation of a proletariat, and uh, that's that's more than just making people, like putting people physically in a space where they have to work at a factory bench in order to survive because they don't have the common lands anymore. It's not just a it's not just a physical experience, right? It's also a spiritual mm-hmm. experience. It's the disconnection of those people from what it is that gives them any sense of belonging in the world which is community which is the land which is this harmonious relationship with nature and in by extension being close to god right it's by severing all of that that you can even conceive of a kind of person that could do factory. yeah exactly you have to like yeah. you have to divorce a person from everything that gives them meaning in exactly. life exactly and, and and make make it's, life it's crazy reading about like that yeah. transition to capitalism and how much the state has to like discipline people to like meet that role What's the the book Monsters of the Market? David Who McNally, I think. Um, David McNally, where yeah, yeah where he t- he uses you know he the Gothic Marxist explanation lens to describe the transition of the the proletarianization of uh, England and this uh, just, just the horror and disembodied and living dead nature of proletarians as compared to their you know the the previous generation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, of uh, of uh, yeoman farmers or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's that's actually a really great book. I, I yeah, there's just that to this pure like horrifying, you know, inhuman, just absolutely disgusting, like thing about capitalism and the way that it turns people into instruments of other people making profit. And that's one reason I love the movie Solo by Pasolini. So like, actually, like I want to write something about this. Movie. I really think that movie is about how like liberal freedom and capitalist um, society basically like. The true realization of that is basically like 
a bunch of like fascist pedophiles like abusing children in the most sadistic insane ways i really think like that kind of is like the essence of like capitalism and you get to a certain point jeffrey epstein yes is capitalism I, I call it epstein capitalism like there is yeah. this like this sense of like you have these rich capitalists who are exploiting the labor of millions of um you know third world children working in these like disturbing factories and so they're so used to doing this that like it doesn't like all their morality becomes completely relativistic and whatever like meets their like desires is okay and so like it becomes like okay to like fuck children and enslave people and stuff like that like it I think, like, you know, uh, uh, the platypus people like to talk about, like, oh, communism is, like, the true realization of liberalism. But, like, I think the true realization of liberalism is, like, the, the slaveholder society, like, the, the, the community of slaveholders and their personal sense of That's honor right. amongst them. Like, that's actually the, the realization of liberalism. Like, Well, this is, a, this is another kind of, you know, t- turn back toward, like, driving this conversation through the lens of romanticism is that we do want to be the antithesis of liberalism. Right, we want to be the negation of this this trajectory, and liberalism is the birth of the modern world and of capitalism. Yeah, I think liberalism is like, like all the bad stuff about the modern world. Like, well, it's it's <laughs> it's what brought the modern world, and it is the it is the it is the dominant ideology of the present social order. Like, we want to we want to completely uh, reroute human development we want to keep all the stuff that we've made right some of it some we, of it some we of it we don't want to pick up liberalism and take some of it, it with needs us to be destroyed and, and be on a better trajectory but yeah we yeah but sure. we, yeah exactly but i just this I is just the way we that, can this is how we can look at marxism in, in like kind of a, a a sort of a stagist or linear fashion that i think makes a little bit of sense and that is you think of liberalism as like sort of a primer like a a, a coat to get ready for the the next the next coat that goes on which is cap, well, mm-hmm. communism right right but sure. if you just leave the fucking primer on, the rot's going to seep into the wood and the whole fucking, the whole structure is going to just become infested with mold and termites and, you know, rot and the entire structure yeah, is going exactly. to collapse. And, the, and just, in this analogy, yeah. the structure is the human soul. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Liberal, oh, and the liberalism, destructive effect to the human soul is in plain fucking view when you look at the Or if you look at like, coronavirus, I feel like people have <laughs> yeah, been, exactly, like, been molded exactly. by this liberal capitalist way of life to just become like these pure individuals who only act for themselves and have no sense of duty to the people around them and so you have people saying oh you know like i am not at risk with this virus i'm young and healthy i'm not gonna die i don't care everyone's just freaking out so they don't have do these people yeah, have like, grandparents do you not have Fuck. like people in your life that like are old and like unhealthy and or are disabled or have and have like you like, know, fucking... new, like deficiencies like do you not have any sense of duty to other people around you and so many people feel like that so many people who call themselves like communists and radicals embrace this like hyper individualistic liberal subjectivity where everything is like about well i'm fine like i'm gonna go travel now because tickets are cheap this is actually kind of awesome like because you know i'm not gonna die so i don't care i'm just gonna go travel to europe and you know have a bunch of fun and like you know maybe go to germany and like bang some hookers like you know that's the fucking mentality that which one of your friends are you arguing with right I, now? I, I, I completely <laughs> made that up. I don't know anyone who actually. I was just like a. I'm not gonna lie. I did look at flight. <laughs> well, you know, and we all struggle no, look, against this in you, ourselves. Like this, you know, that liberal spirit is absolutely. within us, and we have to struggle against it. It's a personal thing, but we can only struggle against it by collectivity. We can only really fight it by like joining other people in a project and and having responsibility yeah. and duty to each other, even if it's just like 
online, like if it's just like your friend group online, like that's still like at least something. It's a highly mediated something, but it is yeah. a something. And what it is is it is it is it gives a an indication as to what to aspire to. You know, having any experience of collectivity, no matter how mediated, at least gives an idea of what a more meaningful and greater and less mediated collectivity can be. Right. So that you have this inspiration to to. You know, this is what makes imagination a material force, right? In the sense that, like, you can, because you can conceive of it, you can go out and try to make it yeah. happen. And because you try to make it happen, you and, can make and it, that, uh, that it can become real. And it's real. through, like, collective labor, people collectively joining together and, and creating this process they imagine that you can actually, you know, create, you know, that, that, that new thing that you thought about. Like, it's through this collective labor process. It's It's... Like really, labor is a good thing. Like we should not be anti-labor and anti. Like some people just say, "Oh, work." We're anti-work, and work just means wage labor. But I think that's like way too confusing. Like I think we need to like embrace this collectivity of human beings, like you know, joining together and imagining a new world and creating that new world. And that imagination aspect is where you can have that kind of romantic spirit. Yeah. Whenever I think of labor, I think of a job that I've been trying to get my entire adult adult life and I haven't been able to do it. I wanted to be a history professor. That's what I've always wanted to do. That That's like a, a dream of mine is to do that. And I, I read books, write papers, and then teach people about it is all I've ever wanted to do. And people ask me, what would you do if you're a millionaire? You know, that's what you should be. If you, uh, I, the idea of a world in which everything is automated and I don't get to do that. Is it fucking sounds? Yeah, it sounds just sounds terrible. like super autom- like alienating and atomized, like like it's Wally comic, like that movie yeah. Wally where everyone's like fat and just like sitting around like. Yeah, that's the example yeah, I used. Like, uh, I, I always um I always joke around that like you know this is fully automated luxury communism and like I post like a screenshot from that movie. And I feel like the thing is about fully automated luxury communism is that it kind of was like um a vision for a lot of people like. It, it cashed on as this meme. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, fully automated luxury communism. That's what we need. Because, like, there's this vision of, like, people in bread lines in Bulgaria or Romania or in Russia or whatever, like, you know, struggling to get by. And that's what people think of communism as. So, like, they embrace this meme of fully automated luxury communism. Actually, communism is when you get, like, everything you want. And, like, everyone has a PS4 and lives in a mansion with an infinity pool. Like, that's real communism, not, like, the fake communism that, like, existed in the past. Where they provided for everybody with the fucking limited means that they had. Yeah, it's actually funny because like yeah. uh, there's a there's a clip of Bernie Sanders out there. Like they he talks about like you know he's like oh well you know and, and you know there may have been bread lines at times in, in the Soviet Union, but at least they were able to get food and they when they waited in America. You don't get food at all if you're poor. Like it's just like I mean that's 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 true, yeah. you know. You don't even not or if there's a panic, you know, like I just couldn't go to the grocery store until after the shelves were mostly empty because I was at work. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's it's funny how much fucking capitalism looks like what they say socialism is when there's a slightest bit yeah. of pressure. And the thing yeah. about like um, you know, like actually existing socialism, like the former Soviet Union, like there's a romantic aspect to that as well, because there was a sense at least that like everyone was like working together in a common civic community trying to create something and like like, there's this interview with this American dude who lived in East Germany, Victor Grossman. He was talking about, like, and he was talking about, like, yeah. I, I would walk, there's a good I would walk down the that. street and I would see buildings and parks and I think, this is actually mine, like, ours. It's not just, it's ours. Like, we all created this. We all share this. 
we're all connected in the common process. And it's like, so even in like, you know, degenerated worker state or whatever you want to call it, like there still was that sense that like people were like in a collective process building something new. But as under capitalism, like we can only break the work in this atomized way. Like it's something we just want to get over with and, and, and deal with. How jealous of are you of Victor Grossman? I don't know. Like I think I probably would have enjoyed living in East Germany. Like, dude, I want to, I want to go defect right now. I don't have to pay my student loans yeah. back if I defect to East Germany, right? I, man, I actually like, I, I ironically like miss the Berlin Wall. <laughs> like, you know, it's just a symbol of communism failing to liberate humanity, but it's still also a symbol of like that struggle at the same time. Like, it, the Berlin Wall was really like an attempt to like control the professional managerial class and like keep them because they didn't want, they wanted to go jump over the wall and get a better job, better paid because capitalism could get paid more. So like it's 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 complicated. Have you seen uh, Goodbye yeah. Lenin? Yeah, I did. Okay, so like I talk, people say, well, what's your, what does your vision of the future look like? Uh, my vision of the future is Alex's vision of the uh, the perfect East Germany. <laughs> you know that he creates for his mom and shows her on TV, where people are fr- fleeing from the east to get into the uh, fleeing from the west to get into the east. And uh, they start taking people's complaints more seriously. And and the president they, uh, is a cosmonaut. Yeah, he's a working class cosmonaut. Yeah, yeah like yeah. Um, one of my favorite um, pieces of Marxist literature, if it's a critique of existing socialism, is Rudolf Barrow's um, Alternative in Eastern Europe. I don't know if you've heard of that. He was a. Um, yeah, I heard. I know of it from that uh, the episode of Swamp Side. You know, it's it's so on. good. Yeah. You have the that's, that's like real, like actual scientific utopian thinking. Because he's actually yeah. living in a society where we're trying to build socialism, and he's saying this is what we need to do to actually move forward. Like we actually need right. to um, start eliminating the mental manual division of labor and actually truly controlling the labor process and controlling ourselves. And he's actually looking at like the concrete reality he lives in and trying to figure out how can we move forward. And of course, like the, the Stasi, like you know, harassed him. And that's you know, that's the dark side of it all. But like at the same time, like it's amazing how. Like the best visions, like the most creative visions of like trying to actually build socialism often come from people struggling against actually existing socialism. That's what we always, what I always say on the podcast is our nostalgia isn't for the Soviet Union. It isn't for East Germany. It isn't for like form of communism in the past. You know, our nostalgia is for the visions of the future that these people held. Yeah, and the potentials, like the missed opportunities. Like I'm really into Like the lost horizons. Yeah, like the, the, uh, the paths not taken. Like for example, in the mm-hmm. Soviet Union in the 1920s, you had Lunacharsky was really interested in ecology, and he wanted to set up like you know areas of that were completely like you know away from humans, completely isolated, so that they could basically look at nature in its in its own state. They were really in the, Lenin was in the conservation, and they actually wanted to like they actually talked about how like planning could be used to create a harmonious relationship with nature and not just um you know destroy nature, but like we could actually like use scientific like understandings of nature and society to actually create a real um a real ecological society like that was a lost opportunity in soviet union after stalin basically created this whole like steel leader like industrial like productivism and that's just one example of these like alternative paths not yeah. taken. and so the the word that describes the, that longing for that that ideal past that doesn't actually exist or that that those uh paths not taken or or is the the word Zenzucht in German, hmm. which just means like pining or longing for like unfinished, imperfect sort of vision of something. Yeah, yeah. We're like we're not longing Man, for this like yeah. forgotten past that we want to recreate. We're like looking at the past 
in seeing the potentials that could have created and revisiting them and applying them today. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Zinzuk is uh, strong on this end. Yeah. We're, we're a heavily Zinzuk podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. I like it. I um, like it. So, what's the verdict? So, was it Prometheanism or Romanticism? I think we need, yeah. we need both. We need both, is my the, verdict. The answer is yes. You need to have a right. like, dialectics, means like a dialogue. Like, I actually think like dialectics doesn't apply to everything, like Engel says, but like when you have like two tendencies that are in a dialogue, or you have right. like, a, a, like a war with two armies fighting each other, or if you have like, um, you know, a, sort of like a like that's a dialectic because it's like a dialogue between two things, and you have to like, you know, actually like find a creative solution to that dialogue and not right. just like and affirm it's, it's... one over the other, but actually create a synthesis that maintains the truth in both ends. Right, it's a it's a a dialogue between two conscious things, asserting each asserting the primacy of its of itself. Hey everybody, Chris here. Just wanted to remind you guys of a couple of things. First of all, we have a Patreon, and if you like listening to us and think we deserve two dollars a month of your hard earned money, please go and sign up. Right now, our patrons get access to irregularly posted content that includes special episodes where we do deep dives into stuff that might be too nerdy for our main feed, extra content from episodes that go way longer than we expected, and impromptu discussions of events and articles that we think are worth a bit of attention. The second thing I wanted to remind everyone of is that we are now part of the Lost Horizons Network which is a dialectical pessimist podcasting network that includes us, The Regrettable Century, Red Library, and From 78. You can listen to us, Red Library, and From 78 using your favorite podcatching app, or find us by searching our respective names on Twitter and Facebook. We also have a special Lost Horizons Network collaboration podcast, which is a roundtable discussion including members of all three podcasts. Our network website can be found at LostHorizonsNetwork.com, which will be linked in the show notes. Our roundtable discussions will be available to listen on your favorite podcatching app, and also look out for us on social media. Just search for the Lost Horizons Network. And as always, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Those ratings and reviews help trick the algorithm into thinking that we are important and have something interesting to say. All right, back to the show. I was just going to say, so like we, we can agree then that our vision of a communist future is about more than just technological capacity and efficiency, right? It's also about recapturing, I'll say recapturing, because that's the the way that Lowy puts it and the way that the Lukács and the, and the Romantic Marxists use it, but recapturing a sort of like paradise lost in terms of all of the values that humanity has had that are atomized and, and scattered to the winds by cap, the experience of capitalism. Which is, you know, not to rec- not to recreate a past, but to create a future based on the hope of the past. We can all agree that that is our basic vision of communism. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. um, I kind of think of progress as like there's this this thread of history of like people struggling for a better world, and true progress is kind of the realization of that thread and moving it forward. Yeah. But not this kind, of, not like progress in this like you know, this kind of capitalist sense. We just need to increase productivity. You see that in like Stalin's view of historical materialism, where like 
mm-hmm. everything is about like developing the forces of production and then once they're developed enough like the system will change and so all of history is just like the forces of production like guiding humanity or whatever and every, everyone has to serve forces of production but he, he almost mystifies the idea of the forces of production exactly like he doesn't understand yeah. that like the forces of production are also humanity and his creative potential that is a force of production yeah. Like science is a force of production. Like utopian vision can even be a force of production if you think about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that Lowy's definition of uh, revolutionary romanticism that looks to the past in order to uh, have that dialectical movement through the past and project that into a vision of the future is sort of without any sort of qualifications the Marxist vision of the future. Um, and I think that Marx adopts that romantic criticism and that utopian romantic view of the past informing the future whole like whole cloth and weaves that into the Marxist vision. Yeah. I think that uh, I think he does it consciously even. Yeah, exactly. He um, understands yeah. like, you know, that there's a, a dialectical tension in his own thought. Like you see that all throughout yeah. Marx. There's these tensions in his own thought and like in the most vulgar sense like used by like stalinists and trots it's like a way for them to go it's, you know it's dialectical like you don't have to worry about like sweat stops in china because it's you know there's a contradiction in china and like you just don't have to worry about that because it's, it's like don't worry it's a contradiction it's fine yeah but that's not really was... that's not really what you know we mean when we're talking about this kind of um dialectic contradiction on the episode that that we last did which will have come out by the time this comes out i read a quote uh, from Stalin about uh, the the necessity of building the biggest and strongest state possible in order for it to get to the point where it can start with withering away, and that's just dialectic. Yeah, you know? exactly. Just keep stacking up more and more stuff on the state tower until it falls over. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's, he just like <laughs> Stalin really just sees like history as like you're just like you know taking a shovel and like digging up dirt and pouring it out a pile and just keep doing that more and more and more until the pile is so big that it's communism and everyone everything is fixed all the contradictions are fixed but yeah, yeah and that would be that would be just the just mechanistic kind of way to look at marxism that i think a lot of people just that aren't stalinists don't realize that they're adopting yeah definitely like you see it in bordiga too and a lot of the left communist mm-hmm. the other kind of leninist yeah yeah, I mean, it, it, the, I'd say a majority of trots have that same Stalinist view. I think a majority of trots are functionally just Stalinists. Yeah, I mean, I don't really want to yeah. call them Stalinists or whatever, because I think, like... No, vulgar materialists, then. How about yeah, that? Yeah, like, they're just... Uh, they're, 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 like, sect brain. They have that, like, that, that, I, like, that sect mentality. That's really the problem, I think. Yeah, I think I might just have just this sort of new atheist kind of... <laughs> relationship with trotskyism that i had whenever i was a, a new atheist yeah. that just come out of christianity yeah when you like talk to like old boomer sparts like they do sound a lot like new atheists <laughs> yeah and, like a lot of stuff they'll say is true but like it still has just just like ah oh, you know like this is the truth you need to listen to this and if you don't you're a petty bourgeois deviationist and they're not willing to kind of explore the creative contradictions and complexity of things it's all about implying these mechanical formulas a priori to history making history fit into these mechanical formulas and that's why like i feel why i call it sect brain because like you you join like um, a socialist sect they give you a bunch of pamphlets and books that give you the me- me- like these formulas 
the mechanical formulas and then like you apply them to everything and like I call, it's like yep. pamphlet brain is what i call it and yeah right like i didn't realize how bad of a marxist i was until i was out of that sort of stultifying sect life and i was able to start you know branching out and reading stuff that was anathema and realize how it just I did not know how to think like a Marxist. Yeah, exactly. And like in Cosmonaut, we'll publish stuff that's not even Marxist. Like we publish like a modern monetary theory guy because we just want to like create dialogue and, and create have creative thinking and actually like, you know, engage in things outside of Marxism, you know? Well, yeah, with, I mean, with the whole world as it actually is. Yeah, exactly. Like Marx looked at like all of the Marx looked at Darwin and the political economists and all that he looked at like all this like you know stuff as dismissed but as bourgeois science and he actually like tried to find the truth in it and create it and and, and you know use and create a totalizing worldview that embraced all of knowledge we didn't even get to the jd bernal piece at all yeah we didn't um so we'll do a lightning round. How do we feel about uh, <laughs> robot science on our bodies so that we can be more efficient? Um, I think that some of it is cool, but I think that like it's like you have to have that tension of like of um. No, I'm against it. Fuck all that. <laughs> no, I think that like there is this like there is a part of the human spirit that wants to like overcome limitations, but you need to have like like a sense of self discipline. Like we don't want to just pave the world. But we, because like if you just do that, you're not actually free because you're just like a slave to your passions, and so you have to have this self discipline of control and limitation. Like if you just like you know completely destroy nature and like completely subsume it to like what you want, you know your desires. Like you're not actually like you know you're not. You have to have self discipline and control and limitation. I think that I'm his a- vision of the engineering of human bodies to turn us into like Daleks was less than. Uh, ideal uh, yeah yeah i hate it i hated that part yeah no it's, it's that made a, me feel it's bad it's a crazy book like it's, yeah. it's jd bernal is a very interesting guy though like he was a real scientist and uh yeah yeah i read a little bit about him yeah he was a total yeah, stalinist honestly, like, too he was like you know he like supported lysenko so that kind of ruined his reputation yeah i'm definitely if i had to pick between one of two poles in a binary and non-dialectical world the one i would pick is nature the the re-enchantment of the world and the reclamation of the world by nature, as opposed to the one where we, uh, it's like, it's kind of accelerationism. Like, right. Yeah. As opposed to the one where we do replace the body structure with some new framework of a new rigid material and that consciousness itself may vanish. <laughs> That's an utterly well, <laughs> brutally terrifying vision of the it's world. It's a flight of fancy. Like if like it's, it kind of reminds me of uh, Gostev. He was like this Bolshevik guy who was really into Taylorism. And, like, he was a poet yeah. as well, so he had, like, these crazy ideas of, like, you know, humans all, like, joining together and, like, working in these patterns. And, you know, like, it's, it's a flight of fancy, like. If you ask me about, to sum up J.D. Bernal's The World of Flesh and the Devil, it's like, what stood out the most to you about that, about that essay? I'd be like, the only thing I could, the thing that pops into my head right away without looking at my notes is talking about barrel-shaped human bodies made of some sort of rigid material that allows us to to give up our old human form for a more efficient yeah man everything else everything else becomes white noise to me after (laughs) after reading that but but okay so i gotta say that when he's talking about space exploration 
that seems that to me that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that was actually kind of reasonable. Like, yeah, that was reasonable. That was like this is what communists thought the world was going to be like. Thought that our exploration of the future was going to be like uh, in the 1920s. That's pretty cool. This guy pretty accurately predicted like a little bit of what the space program, yeah, the Soviet Union, the United States were going to be like, and his his ideas about like colonies on uh in space stations orbiting other planets and stuff like that that was pretty cool i i, I like that all right yeah but so when he tries to like turn everyone into cyborgs like <laughs> yeah. you know maybe like or when he says like, like, i think like once the eugenicists think, perfect the human form and i'm like oh well like think about it like some of that already does exist and it's actually good like you know people can take hormones and change their gender and you know we actually do like you know apply science to our own bodies to change ourselves and become new things there is like a cyborg element to humanity right yeah i mean that's not wrong i, I think mean, there's like a, I, I there's a rational stem cell therapy there. it's just like taken way too far in this kind of flight of fancy yeah. it's almost science fiction oh yeah it's totally science uh, fiction yeah yeah and that's where and my inner luddite comes out and i want to, to <laughs> put the doomsday virus in all the computers <laughs> It's not even yeah. all the way inner. I'm like slightly tend toward that uh, basic knee-jerk hostility to all tech futurisms. Um, well, the thing is, is like tech futurism is like so dominated by like capitalist shit, like Elon Musk and stuff. Like, it, yeah. I mean, I think that I think that having a couple of intelligent well-meaning luddites among us isn't a bad thing yeah exactly no you have yeah. to have, that's like, not a primary contradiction in our ranks like, you, you have to have people to say all right that's a little too much like maybe we don't need to pave the world and like you know cover everything in concrete maybe we do need to preserve nature because it has an inherent value and not everything needs to be treated like as this like as according to like what humans want at a given moment like yeah, yeah exactly yeah we don't we, we don't want wally yeah Wally communism. And that's my problem with like, all the accelerationist stuff. It's just like, like it's just like liberalism on crack. Like, <laughs> yeah, it is absolutely. Okay, so uh, the first chapter of the JD Bernal pamphlet, good. Second chapter, not so good. I would say that overall, I I rec- I recognize that pamphlet as being something that could be inspiring to someone thinking about the communist future in the 1960s. Exactly. That's really what it is. It's, but that's it's about a, it's it. It's an Irish yeah. scientist, like, you know, Marxist-Leninist guy who's like, I'm going to write a crazy pamphlet about, like, the future where like, we have complete control over science and there's no limitations. You know? And, yeah. like... And i, I got to say that I'm going to ha- have to go ahead and when we're, like, in the future socialist society, when we're voting on whether or not to transform our consciousness like to transfer our consciousness to the barrel bodies I'm gonna yeah it's way too that. like transhumanist shit it also it reminds yeah. me of like the russian biocosmos i kind of i wrote an article that time talks about them and like the kind of vision of space exploration in like um you know pre-soviet and 1920s soviet russia where you have like mm-hmm. all of these like weird um kind of utopian mystic scientists who have like these visions of like going to space and how it kind of intermingled with the Bolshevik party. And like, you have this whole utopian culture that developed. And I think like there's a, you need some of that. Like, I'm not saying like, like obviously we shouldn't like embrace this vision, but we do need like a culture where like people are like, kind of like creating these visions and just having these, you know, you know, these crazy thoughts and, you know, having dialogue with each other. And 
I think. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, we need gonna... that, and we need people holding hands, dancing around a maypole. Yeah, um, we need the wicker bring man. up the other end. <laughs> yeah, we need like we need neo folk, but we also need industrial. <laughs> That's right. We need hey, we need I'm... a really well balanced playlist. That's what we need. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. We need yeah. We need uh, the cosmic black. Oh, Mario, I never, I never heard of that. All, it's all space themed. Is it good? Like, it's, some of it is. Yeah, like, some of it's it's not bad. Huh. And then there's also the whole romantic black metal, which is all about like well, black know, black metal is very room. romantic. Like, yeah. it's yeah, all that's about. Why it's really good. Yeah, that's why I like yeah, black like, metal uh, a lot. Yeah, like neo folk and black metal is like my shit. Like, there's not. So that's my main that my two main jams. yeah like it's it's a, like you know i try not to like you know say too much about it because like people go oh, you're a fascist if you like that stuff it's like no you're not nobody that i yeah. hang out hang out with would ever do that yeah like, yeah i'm talking just like random online leftists like um uh, fucking assets oh, those are the, the worst some of the worst people in the world yeah like i posted like <laughs> the a random uh, online leftist i posted like a death in june song that was really sad because i was really sad once on my own um, facebook and that that guy alexander reed ross was like I'm unfriending you. <laughs> wow. I mean, like, look, <laughs> nothing, okay, so, nothing human is alien to me, right? And so if yeah, you're exactly. feeling sad and you found a way to express it in a song, yeah. like, Jesus. Yeah. Like, if we do not embrace all that makes us human, we will leave parts for the fascists to own wholly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not interested in letting them have one single ounce of anything. Yeah, exactly. All to themselves. Yeah. Unless unless it's race science. They can have that. Yeah, they can have Yeah, they can have race science. But the rest of it, right? Mysticism, romanticism, uh passion as a as a driving force. I don't those don't get to belong to them. Yeah, they can try yeah. to appropriate them from what it is that makes us full complex human beings. Um but they can't we shouldn't let them have it completely. No, not at all. The only thing that they can have is race science because it's the only thing that's very obviously non-human. Yeah, like nationalism, like, you know, I know the whole issue of nationalism is really complex. You have like oppressed nations and stuff like that. But like, that's know. what I mean. That's why they can't have anything else yeah, all yeah. to it. You know, like, there's, like, a, there's a part yeah. of everything that they that they don't get to keep. Yeah. But I'm, I'm all about the, the worldwide collective commonwealth. But also like, you know, if if we're going to have oblasts within that commonwealth so that historically. Yeah, exactly. Can, like you have to have like what know, Lenin wanted with like. You know, oppressed yeah. nations were able to develop their culture, but within like a greater federation of like Soviet republics. Like, you know, we need to let indigenous people have like Soviet republics where they can like, you know, have their culture and develop what's been taken away from them by, you know, colonialism and capitalist modernity. Yeah. And a lot of people are like, oh, that's backwards looking. Like, you're just like, you know, like, you know, you just need to like, you know, get these people to move forward in modernity and integrate. Like, no, like that's just like chauvinism. Yeah, I mean, it might be backwards looking, but uh, you know what? Backwards looking is the new form. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's complicated, and we have to embrace that, that complicated aspect. And Yeah, that's that's one of the things that the online left is terrible at, is nuance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, um, if you talk about, like, you know, I think indigenous people should, like, have, like, land reparations. But, oh, but communism is against private property, so that's anti-communist and reactionary. It's like, if we don't have communism, we have, like, you know, parts of the world where indigenous people have, like, a you know, very given priority over use of that land. Like, that's fine with me. Like, that's, I don't want to just, like, make the world, like, fit into this mechanical formula. Like, I want to actually have socialism be a heroic creation of, of real people in the real world, embracing, you know, what, what you know, what they love and their passions. And, like, and I, I think I mentioned this a few times recently, is that our idea of socialism, we, we have to stop conceiving of socialism as, oh, okay, so once we get rid of all the bad stuff, then we have socialism 
and then once like once we have socialism we, we won't have any of the detritus or the muck of ages left over from capitalism socialism is going to be a process where we constantly mm-hmm. where we engage with pieces of capitalism ideas of capitalism that are left over and try to either figure out ways to completely destroy them or to find some sort of dialectical synthesis that turns them into ideas that we take into the future concepts of you know land ownership for indigenous tribes might be something that gets carried over into this transitional socialist period that we have to figure out yeah exactly yeah like look if you want to own your own bike repair shop i don't care yeah exactly like i I... (laughs) but if like like but if there are three people working there then three people own it yeah <laughs> i mean fucking uh you know i i re- always refer to myself ironically as a post titoist <laughs> you know yeah but like it's only kind of ironically it's less yeah. and less ironic all the time actually yeah i know <laughs> well i i, I, I think I'm a that, like, um, okay? this whole kind of idea of like, oh we just need to like abolish markets all at once it's just like ridiculous like i feel like in a socialist republic you would still have like you know small property owners but it would be regulated and we would try to like, you know, incentivize them to form cooperatives and to join, you know, the plan sector. But it won't be like this whole like system where we just like get a bunch of guns and like, you know, force everyone to like stop trading and like abolish commodity production by force. Like that's not going to work. Like that's Well, it sounds I mean, that's what people say. Sounds like Stalinism. I was going to say that's what people say about China right now, too. Yeah, yeah, but I think the problem with China is that like the the actual like the state is not actually controlled by the proletariat. Like, I feel like... Right, well, yeah. That's the problem. That's a, yeah. like, you can have, like, elements... That's a whole different discussion. Yeah, exactly. That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, final thoughts. We, um... We read... Uh, Michael Lowy on Romanticism, and we read J.D. Bernal on just this pure Promethean utopian vision of the future. And we have come to the conclusion, so Cosmonaut and the Regrettable Century agree in the dialectical synthesis of Romanticism and Prometheanism. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I think, um, you know, maybe I'll get some shit for, like, you know, embracing Romanticism too much. But I think, like, you know... When the emphasis is, like, on science so much, I think you kind of have to, like, have room for that. Right. So, yeah, fucking listen to, listen to some, like, neo-folk while you're doing your equation. Yeah, exactly. Like, embrace <laughs> the idea of science as uncovering these lost mysteries of, of nature. Maybe we need, you know, maybe we do need to, like, look at indigenous belief systems and incorporate them in, like, a more holistic scientific worldview that's not just this, you know, Newtonian atomistic universe. Yeah. Yeah, keep a right. couple well, candles even, in your house that aren't scented. You know? <laughs> so, you know, Isaac Newton wasn't a cultist. So, like, you know, maybe we do need to keep it Newtonian. Yeah, maybe, like, we so, need a communist party where you have, like, Christian mystics, but you also have, like, scientists who, like, work in nuclear physics. Like, you need, you know, that's that's my ideal communist party. Hell yeah. A communist party without atheism. That's yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, you have, like... You know, people, you have people who are maybe religious socialists, and then you have people who are atheists, and no one's forced, you know, there's a creative, like, conversation between these different people. People learn from each other, and, you know, not, we don't just, like, have this flattening, like, worldview where everyone has to conform to, like, the one true philosophy of dialectical materialism. Well, there couldn't possibly be one true one, otherwise it wouldn't be dialectical. Exactly, exactly. 
солнца свет.